chapter 14 to 17 of John's Gospel are often, to, often referred to as the farewell discourse given by the Lord Jesus to 11 remaining disciples immediately after the conclusion of the Last Supper. That Supper began, of course, with 12 disciples, but later on in the course of the evening, one of them left that place. So Jesus there, on the night before his crucifixion, gave this discourse, the first part of this discourse, to the disciples. However, most of chapter 13, as a previous chapter, it can be viewed as a preparation for the farewell in that it revealed the imminent departure and other troubling issues of to his disciples there. So before we look at some of these well-known verses in chapter 14, we're going to have a brief skim over chapter 13 and look at some of the things that are recorded there in order to set the scene what, what, what follows on. So Jesus, we see at the beginning of that chapter 13, he had eaten supper with beloved disciples. And then in verse 4, he arose and he got a towel. He tied the towel around his waist and he proceeded to wash the feet of each of his disciples in turn. And you know that in so doing, the Lord Jesus Christ there, he assumed the position of a servant. And is that not astounding? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person in the Godhead, the creator of everything, stooped down and washed the feet of sinners. You know, just think about it for a minute. That's absolutely incredible. The God of all creation, washing the feet of sinful men. And then having completed that wonderful expression of love, he then explained to them the reason behind it. And you can read the chapter when you go home if you get a moment. It's really interesting to see that. Then we read in verse 21, as we go through it, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. The knowledge of what he was about to reveal to the disciples troubled them intensely. He told them that one of them, whom he never named, was going to betray him. And there can you not imagine the ripples of shock that went round that room when Jesus said that. They would have been astounded to think that one of them was going to betray the Master. And you know, it's amazing to note that a few moments before his announcement, the Lord Jesus Christ would actually have stooped down and washed the feet of the one who was betrayed. And you know, you would have thought that act, that act in itself would have been enough to perhaps change the mind of the betrayer. And maybe that's why Jesus did it to him. To give him an opportunity to relent of the plan that had been put in his heart by Satan, by the devil, by the enemy. And I wonder what Judas would have thought about it. That wonderful display of grace. The master washing the feet of the betrayer. There was the opportunity for him to consider and to relent. But as we read there, the devil had put it in Judas's heart to betray the Lord. And the moment when Jesus made his announcement and Judas remained silent, the deal was sealed. And we read there in these verses that Satan then entered into the heart of Judas. Judas then got up and he left that place. He left, he turned his back on the Lord Jesus Christ, his Lord and Master. He turned his back on the church and he never returned. Judas went out that night and he fell. 
One was privilege. Privilege greatly in so many ways. He walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. He heard Jesus preaching. He saw his wonderful miracles. He would even have touched Jesus. But yet, he turned away and he fell. And great was that fall. We can read all about Judas' demise further on in the Gospels. And the Apostle Paul, writing in his church to Corinth, acknowledges mankind's fairly when he warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. And he says there, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. You know, my friends, we need to be vigilant each and every moment. We need to keep our guard up and we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because that same devil that went into Satan's heart in that day is still rampant. And he still longs and desires to see God's people tripped up and dragged away. So be on your guard, my friends. Be on your guard. Now after Jesus, after Judas had gone out, Jesus then revealed to them his departure time was drawing near. And he gave them then a new command in that they love one another. Love one another, he said. And if you do love one another, those around will see your love for one another and they will know that you are believers. They will know that you are our people. And then finally, Peter, in typical fashion, they say, at the end of chapter 13, he asks the Lord, and where are you going? And when he's given the answer, he said, well, I'm, he was given the answer, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterwards. But that wasn't good enough for Peter. Peter said, Lord, why can I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus then warned Peter that he was going to betray him. He said, Peter, you are going to deny me. And how that must have shaken Peter. Who? Me, Lord? Deny you? You thought, no, never. I will never deny you. And yet, if you turn a few pages round to chapter 18 in this same gospel, we can see that, yes, Peter did deny his Lord. Not once, not twice, but three times. But you know what? It broke Peter's heart. It broke his heart and it taught him a lesson. The arm of flesh will fail you. The arm of flesh will fail you. You have to be careful. My friends, each and every moment. So these thoughts in our minds when we want to look at the verses we read from chapter 14, where Jesus is seeking to reassure and to comfort his disciples. They would have been upset and confused after all they heard in that previous chapter. Martin Luther called this passage the best and most comforting sermon that the Lord Christ delivered on earth, a treasure and a jewel not to be purchased with the world's goods, these verses become the foundation of comfort, not only for these disciples, but also for us. If you ever get to the point in your life when you think you've run out of escapes and there aren't any more places where you can rest, you'll find a tremendously soft, dirty pillow in John 14, verses 1 to 6. It's not just lovely. you find comfort and you find rest in John 14, one as I said, by this stage the disciples were undoubtedly bewildered, perplexed, confused, and filled with anxiety. 
All of these revelations that Jesus had just disclosed to them would have had their minds racing. And not only that, they would have troubled their hearts. They would have been troubled that Jesus was going to go away and they couldn't go with him. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ was well aware of that. He knew their hearts, just like he knows our hearts, even up to this very moment in time. But here was Jesus himself, who was troubling his spirit over what was to come upon him in the coming days, seeking to reassure them that all was going to be well. All would indeed work out for their eternal welfare. And are we even ourselves this day not assured of that as well? And not only from these verses in John 14, 1-6, but also if we look to Romans 8 and 28, there we read, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Isn't that just a wonderful verse? It's an amazing verse. No matter what life throws at us, no matter what pattern, pattern the divine weaver weaves into the tapestry of our life, we have the assurance that all things work together for good. We may not see it for now, but one day it will all become clear, and we will praise God for it. But for now, it's surely a blessed assurance to know that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Yeah, what it's like, nobody really knows. Nobody really knows what it's like there. But it is a prepared place for a prepared people. And Jesus is there. A prepared place for a prepared people. And Jesus, my friends, is there. I want to ask you a question. Can you say tonight and here in this gathering and home and on home online that you are amongst those who are prepared? Are you counted amongst that number? I hope and pray that you can. You know the disciples have no need to be concerned over their eternal well-being. But I suppose that's easy for us to say because we know things that as yet the disciples didn't know. We've got the scriptures and we can read in there what happened after that occasion. But as they could not look ahead and they could not know what was going to happen. In the light of the revelation of the truth of the word of God, we see what's happened. And you know that we ourselves, although we have this Bible, we have this book, we're still very fickle. And we can and we do need continual reassurance. How often do we go through times of doubt and times of despair? How often do we need building up in our faith? How often do we need to turn to prayer and turn to the Word to seek comfort? Comfort like these disciples were needing there on that day. So we have to, my friends, take encouragement from the Saviour's words as we read them here and as we hear them preach and even as we sing them. Take comfort from the words of Jesus. And I'm sure the disciples there on that occasion did indeed take comfort from the verses that we're now going to look at for a short time. And the first one is, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In verse 1, Jesus begins here with encouragement. Not to be troubled of the text and an instruction to believe. Don't be troubled, he says. What's just happened, he said. And he wanted to 
comfort and reassure them after all that he heard that everything would work out as we said. And of course it did. What was going on there was all part of the divine plan which would benefit not only the disciples but all mankind in every age and in every generation. Jesus also states here, believe in God. As it says in another translation, you believe in God, you have saved the disciples, which of course they did. These men were Jews. They would have been immersed in scripture from their youth. And they would have understood God. And they would have trusted in him totally and believed in him. Even if they had never seen him, they believed with the eye of faith. So these disciples knew God. And they trusted God. And they believed God. But here was Jesus standing before them and he was encouraging them to believe in him in the same way. Believe also in me, he said. And Jesus here was alluding to his equality with God the Father. Something as yet they had no real grasp of. But something which would become crystal clear in the following days and weeks. And then in verse 2, we read these well-known words which have brought such comfort to so many. For example, on the sad occasion of a funeral, and we've not heard it over the last couple of days itself. These words are often read, are quoted in prayer. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? We've all heard it, and indeed it is a comfort to know that there is a room or a place that is prepared for each and every one who believes and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reference here to many rooms in the Father's house is intended to bring us encouragement. It's a vivid way of saying there is an ample provision in heaven for all who believe. There's plenty of room for everyone. Someone might say, but it's through a narrow gate or it's through a narrow door. It doesn't matter. That narrow way is wide enough to accommodate everyone who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Suppose the entire world were to come to Jesus and bow down and confess their faith. That way is wide enough to take every single believer, both past, present, and future. And you know something else about the Father's house? The Father's house is a fixed abode. It's not a tent or a tabernacle that can move about. It is set. It is immovable. And it is there for each and every one of us. It's prepared for God's people. And Jesus said, it is my Father's house. And through faith, his Father is also our Father. And all true believers are welcomed into his home. None will be turned away. All are welcome. The Father's house of heaven is a place where our souls will enjoy rest and peace with our Lord and Saviour for all eternity. Who can fathom eternity? We can't. It just goes on endlessly. And so too without fellowship and joy being in the Lord Jesus Christ when we enter into that heavenly home. You know, someone might ask, how do we know it's true? How do I know my home is prepared and reserved? Because Jesus himself said so. It's written there, if it were not so, 
Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said it, it is true. And you must take it as so. Jesus cannot and will not lie. He cannot and will not lie. He would never give you or I false hope. So if Jesus says that he has gone to prepare a place for us, he has. He has gone to prepare that place. Jesus had I seen the disciples say he was preparing that for his departure. He was soon to be betrayed, betrayed, tried and then crucified. But that wasn't to be the end. Because Jesus rose again from the grave on the third day. Thereafter, over the space of 40 days, he witnessed to many. And then in Acts chapter 1, we see him being taken up to heaven. His ascension up to heaven. To take his place at the right hand of God the Father in that heavenly mansion. Jesus has gone before us to that place. Full preparation has now been made. Jesus had to go on there before his disciples and before each and every one of us. But why? Because heaven without Jesus would not have been prepared or ready for the Christian to go to. Had Jesus not been there, it wouldn't have been prepared or ready for us to go to. So there wasn't. Sorry, <laughs> I've lost it a wee bit. Not only does Jesus promise a place in that house of many rooms, but he goes on to tell us that he will actually come again. He will come back and he will take us there in the fullness of time. He says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is going to return in person to take each and every one of his believing people home to that heavenly place. First Thessalonians 4, 15 to 18 describes that great day for us. It says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, we who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with the fact and the truth that Jesus Christ will return to take his people home. Jesus will return. Jesus certainly did not go to prepare a place for his people in that house of many rooms just to leave it empty. He didn't do that. He is returning for us all. But I want to tell you tonight, friends, there is one thing that I want to say. No one, not one single person on the face of this earth knows when that day will happen. Regardless of what they claim to know, regardless of what they say, regardless of what they predict or prophesy or call it what they want, no one knows when that day will take place. And Mark 13, 32 and 33 tells us so. It says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, 
not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Not even the Son knows, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when that time will come. Again, I must ask you, friends, are you prepared? Am I? Are we ready for that day that Jesus will come? Because I can tell you there will be no second chance. You have to be ready. I plead with you, if you're not ready, then be prepared and get ready before our Lord and Saviour, Jesus, comes back. Jesus then continued by declaring to his disciples in verse 4, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas didn't understand. Perhaps, perhaps like Peter, he thought that Jesus was going to some place that they could travel to. Some place within reach, some place maybe locally. A place where they could follow later. And perhaps the others did as well. But Thomas was, didn't understand. And he was honest enough to admit that he didn't. And so he asked the question and he received the most revealing answer. And you know too, that too, that should be said of us as well, friends. We don't know everything. We can't know everything. But we shouldn't be above asking someone who we might think does. It's better to ask than to make out we understand from the old. So don't be afraid to ask, my friend, because the answer you get might be a very blessing. So don't be afraid to ask. Thomas wasn't afraid to ask. And Thomas, when he asked that question, Jesus gave him the answer. It became crystal clear for Thomas, and so do he made it clear for everyone, everywhere, anytime. Who by God's grace is blessed enough to hear or read these words. Because Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a verse that we're all familiar with. Many people are familiar with. And here was Jesus saying to Thomas when he asked him the way, I am the way. And the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, he said, Jesus said, sorry, he said, Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am our way. He didn't say, I can show you the way. He didn't say there are other ways. No, Jesus said, I am the way. He is the only way. No one comes to the Father except through him. All our good deeds, our giving, even church membership, eldership, nothing guarantees our present help. It is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't matter what we do. If we don't have the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts, it avails us nothing. The way to glory, the way to heaven is through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. You know, there are many today who believe as long as you're sincere, it doesn't matter what you believe. Neither does it matter which religion you follow, because at the end of the day, they all get you to heaven anyway, don't they? You know, Jesus blows a huge hole in that mindset. 
because he says definitively, no one comes to the Father but by me. For sure. For sure. And I can almost hear the skeptics' reactions. What an astonishing thing. Thank goodness, how presumptuous. Who does he think he is? Well, he knows who he is. And he wants everyone else, everywhere, to know as well. Jesus' desire is for every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of this earth to know who he is. And not only to know who he is, but to accept him. Jesus said, I am the way. He also said, I am the truth. Jesus not only teaches the truth, he is the truth. He is the embodiment of truth. And if you have Christ, you have the truth. And you cannot find it anywhere else. Nowhere else can you find that truth. He is also the life. Jesus said he is the life. He is also the life. He is the source of life both spiritual and eternal. And chapter 1, verse 4 of this very gospel tells us, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. Have you seen and acknowledged that light? The light of the world that gives true life, eternal life. Jesus is the way which every one of us must follow. Jesus is the truth in whom we must believe. Jesus is the life in whom we must have our hope. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us, and this is a very important verse, so listen to my friends. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name by which we can be saved. Only the name of Jesus Christ, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In verse 7, Jesus again touches on the theme of the mysterious union between God the Father and himself. When he says there, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you do know him and have seen him. We now see Philip speak. And he shows that he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. Would we have? Do we understand what Jesus is saying there? I hope and pray that we do. Philip asks for a revelation of the Father. He says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. And it's enough for us. To which... Jesus responds, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? You know, Philip had been with Jesus from when he first called his disciples, his disciples, but yet he failed to grasp the true identity for Jesus and his unity with God the Father. And you know, Jesus is the visible tangible image of the invisible God. He is a visible, tangible image of the invisible God. He is a complete revelation of God, of what God is like. And Jesus here explains to Philip that to know him is to know God. To know Jesus is to know God. The search for God 
for truth and for reality ends with Jesus. Colossians 1.15 tells us that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. To see Jesus is to see the Father. A Bible teacher from a bygone day, Jai Sidlaw Baxter wrote, fundamentally our Lord's message was himself. Our Lord's message was himself. He did not come merely to preach a gospel. He himself is that gospel. He did not merely come to do bread. He said, I am the bread. He did not merely come to shed light. He said, I am the light. He did not come merely to show the door. He said, I am the door. He did not come to name a shepherd. He said, I am the shepherd. And he did not come merely to point the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what do you think of Jesus? He seeks to calm the troubled heart. He has gone to prepare a place for us. For us. He has made it clear how to get there. He reveals God the Father to us in his person, made clear in the Word. And you know what? We didn't reach tonight. We didn't reach verses 16 and 17 of this same chapter. And had we reached it, we would have read there where Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, the Comforter who dwells in the heart of every believer through faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit who will lead us and who will guide us, who will open understanding, our understanding, who will reveal truths of the word to us, the one who will never leave us nor forsake us on our Christian walk or journey through this life, the one who will remain with us until we are either called home or until Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit dwells in the heart of every believer. The moment you Cast your life on Jesus Christ and ask for his mercy. You have been dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And there that day, Jesus promised the disciples that he would ask the Father and he would send the Spirit. And if we read on into the book of Acts, we read there in chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And what a day that was. What a day that was. A fulfillment of that promise that Jesus made. What a difference. What a difference in these men. Disciples who were hiding for fear after Jesus had been taken up head. Were afraid to go out in case they get killed or persecuted or something. But once they received the blessing of the Holy Spirit, they were emboldened and they stood up and they declared Jesus Christ fearlessly. Jesus in the same chapter said, You will do greater things than I will. And that was true. You can't believe that, but it is true. These disciples, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, you read of it there in Acts. Hundreds were coming to faith. Hundreds, thousands even were coming to faith through their testimony. And yet when Jesus was on earth, there weren't so many saved. There were people healed, yes, and saved. There were people who received blessings and were saved. But when the Holy Spirit came upon these disciples, there was loads, numbers, multitudes, people saved. And 
gone into the kingdom of God. And that spirit has stood with us today. And how we ought to that spirit of free reign in our hearts. How we ought to be able and willing to open our mouths and to tell of this Lord Jesus Christ, the one who went to prepare a way for us. May his name be praised forever for it. I want to ask you, is there anything that this word can offer that comes close to that? If there is, tell me of it. But if not, I want to ask anyone here tonight or anyone watching online who has not yet come to Jesus. What are you holding on to? If the world has nothing better to offer, what are you holding on to it for? Let go and come to Jesus in faith. Before it's too late, my friends. Before it's too late. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you believe it? Do you accept it? I hope and pray that each and every one of us does.